Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting, informative episode of That's Truth from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse here in Antigua. I don't know how your day has been this far. I don't know how your week was, but I am glad that you have made time on this Tuesday evening to tune into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and to interact with us on the program tonight. As usual, sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Um, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and thank those who are listening. appreciate you listening this evening. Again, thank you for making time on this Tuesday evening to join us here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We've got a couple of questions that have already come in. If you have a question, go ahead and send it in, and then we will jump into our topic after the questions are answered as we wait for more. Pastor, we have a question that has come in from a listener via WhatsApp. Uh, They sent a little screenshot or a picture. I'm going to describe it here. It's kind of a clouds and a sunset. And over top of the picture, it says, he is coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him. I believe that's based off of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. And the question to you, Pastor, is are you teaching your members to get ready for Christ's return? I don't think there's any quick pastor uh, that's worth his salt that doesn't uh, uh, encourages people to look for the Lord's return. But I think um, what you're suggesting here is that the passage you've got there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, has reference uh, uh, to the fact that when our Lord returns, he's coming in clouds for, um, uh, to set up his, his, his kingdom. In other words, I think you're confusing the rapture with the revelation. Uh, if you look at uh, the passage you quoted there, uh, Danny, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, yeah. you'll find that that is also mentioned in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. So, uh, as I mentioned in the previous broadcast, the rapture is a mystery that was revealed as New Testament truth. The counterpart to the rapture is the translation of Enoch. So we must not confuse the two. The the rapture was not something revealed in the Old Testament, but the revelation of our Lord coming up called the Day of the Lord is uh, referred to, and that's what is talking to it. Again, if you check the um, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, you'll find that coming in the clouds and, and, and being seen comes after the kingdoms, the Gentile kingdoms, are destroyed and the Messiah comes back to set up his kingdom. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wonder if you could just read uh, Zechariah uh, 12.10 for me for just a moment, Nathan. Zechariah 12.10, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible, says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, 
And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Again, if you read now Revelation 1-7, you see that's the exact quotation, basically, that John uses, Revelation 1-7. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Yeah, it's the same thing. But as we notice that in, in Zechariah, is referring to the house of Israel. In other words, he will quote the, the, the spirit of grace on the house of Israel. And he tells you when that will happen. It will happen when he comes back in, 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 in clouds. And we know that after he comes back for what is called the revelation, when he deals with uh, the nations and destroy, he will set up his millennial kingdom after that. Uh, the other passage that is interesting is Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Could you read that, please? Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Verse 14, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Very, very obvious. If, now, if you read the passage before, you'll see that it refers to the, it's dealing with the destruction of the four kingdoms that were prophesied that would come, the four Gentile kingdoms, which would be the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and the uh, Roman kingdom and the revived Roman Empire. After these are destroyed, then the Son of Man comes. But notice that he comes, and what he does, every nation is going to serve him. Uh, so he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. And that's what it's talking about in, in the same passage there. So I don't. Uh, I would like to suggest to the, the person who asked the question, I have no doubt in my mind, this is probably a person who doesn't have any place for Israel in the future. And it's either a reform person who holds this position, or a Catholic, or it's a probably most likely a, um, a Seventh-day Adventist is probably one with whom, because they have no place for Israel in their prophetic program. And therefore, they, they, they don't make a distinction between the rapture and the revelation, and they're so confused in the Bible prophecy. And that happens because they do not understand that there is the rapture of the church that is mentioned, which is the mystery. And when our Lord comes, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And then, and remember, he comes with the saints uh, to judge the earth. Uh, in, in the rapture, he comes for the saints, two different things altogether. So um, I, I, I appreciate the question that was being asked, but I think we must not conflate the rapture with the revelation, the two different teachings. One has to do with uh, the church, and uh, that would be taken out at the end of this this this, this uh, church age, and then uh, he will begin to deal with Israel and the nations and purify Israel, put in a crucible, and uh, judge the nations. And then after that is completed, he comes back in the clouds and uh, he sets up his kingdom and all nations that were properly related to Israel, because Israel is going to be severely persecuted during the tribulation period. And their response to how they treat the nation of Israel will depend on whether or not they're going to the millennial kingdom. That's the biblical teaching, uh, so there's no confusion between the two. And we do encourage people about the rapture, especially. Uh, There are no signs that precede the rapture, Uh, so believers ought to be alert 
the revelation, of course, there are signs that the Bible talks about, especially in the book of Matthew chapter 24. Have you just tuned in? You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. The name of the program is That's Truth, a live weekly interactive call-in program. Happens live every Tuesday evening from 7.30 until 9 p.m. We almost have the entire program ahead of us tonight, so go ahead and give us a call if you have a question. It can be about anything. What is the biblical view on any given topic? The phone number to call and be put live on the air is one 462 7420 Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. And, Pastor, here's another WhatsApp question from a listener. What does God require what what does God require sacrifice from us who are not perfect ourselves? Well, first of all, when, I, when you gave me the question this evening, I'm not too sure um, what the person meant. Uh, it, it seems to me, as I would interpret that, that it, it should be why as opposed to what. But let's suppose that we use the word what there. What does God require of us even though we are so imperfect? Uh, if you go into the Bible, um, it um, talks about certain sacrifices that uh, believers can make and God expects from believers. If you look at First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 5, for just a moment, Nathan. First Peter 2, 5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up as built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Again, uh, if you read the, the context, it's talking about the believer being part of the kingdom of God. We're like stones in, in God's uh, house, and we are priests unto God, and we are to perform the same duties of the Old Testament priest did in the sense that in the Old Testament, they offered sacrifice. Of course, they offered material, uh, bloody sacrifices, but now Paul, uh, Peter talks about spiritual sacrifices that we can make as believers, and we're given the insight into what those kind of sacrifices are. Uh, Revel- uh, R- Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, again, uh, Paul is, is writing, and in view of all that God has done for us, he called them the mercies of God. If you go back to Romans and read the chapters preceding, you talk about our justification, our adoption, our union with Christ. Uh, it talks about um, there's now no condemnation or security in Christ. He, he begins to talk about our salvation. He, he gives a whole list of biblical things that our Lord has done in terms of doctrinal benefits we had. And in light of all of those mercies, he said, the only proper response now is to present our bodies. Uh, and that is a sacrifice that we can make. When he has the body, he has the entire person because the body uh, encompasses the mind, the spirit, everything. So he wants the body. And uh, we ought to surrender ourselves to him to be used for his service. And of course, uh, one of the main services that is needed 
uh, is the, man, to carry out the mandate he gave us in Matthew chapter 28, going to all the world and preach the gospel. So we ought to make ourselves available to him. And then there's another passage in Corinthians that said we are bought with a price, we are not our own. So if we are bought with a price, we are not our own, the only proper response to me would be to make ourselves available to him. So you should be, as a person, uh, you should be asking God, what would you have me to do? That's the first question the Apostle Paul asked when he was converted and the road to Damascus. Lord, what would you have me to do? If you're a believer, uh, that should be the premier question you ask yourself. Lord, 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 now that I'm saved, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to uh, make my body available to you for what service? Uh, so that's an, a, another thing that's mentioned. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, is another reference to the kind of sacrifice that we can make to God. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Again, that's very clear that uh, one thing that God declares of us is that we, we praise him, praise him for his works, praise him for his, his word, praise him for his son, praise him for his salvation, praise him for his adoption, for his sanctification, praise him for his, our final glorification. Uh, we can praise God for so much and, and praise its proper become of God because uh, he is the uh, the creator, he is the Lord of the universe and uh, praise is due to him. And then uh, if you look at um, Psalms 50 uh, 23 and Psalm 116 verse 17 Psalm 50 23 yeah. says whoso offereth praise glorifieth me and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Again, uh, notice the, the emphasis there on praise. We glorify him by offering praise. Uh, Psalm 116 verse 17 Psalm 116, verse 17 says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Again, very, 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 very clear that we can offer the sacrifice. That was also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 13 as well, the the idea of thanksgiving. And there's so much uh, to thank God for. I would suggest that if you would just take a, a t- some time and just reflect and take a piece of paper and, and, and just jot down as thoughts come to you what you ought to be thankful for. Uh, there are so many things that we take for granted and uh, we don't reflect and muse and uh, ponder these things, but I think if we were to spend some time seriously pondering uh, what we ought to thank God for, the list would be almost inexhaustible. And again, God is pleased when we thank Him, uh, and it shows appreciation and gratitude to Him. Remember that in the book of Romans chapter 1, one of the major sins of humanity is that when they knew God, they glorified Him not of God, neither were thankful. Uh, that's the emphasis. So that's another sacrifice we can offer to Him. Uh, Psalm um, 51 verse 17 Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, wilt thou wilt not despise. Again, that's something else you can offer him as a sacrifice, a brokenness. And um, I would just ask the person who's listening, when last have you been broken? When last have you shed a tear? When last have you mourned over the, your sinful nature and the fact that you may be selfish or mean or uh, you haven't really treasured what God has done for your life? I mean, have you ever been broken? But think about that, a broken heart. 
do you sin with impunity, without any any conviction whatsoever? Uh, God is pleased when we are broken over our condition. That's another sacrifice we can offer to Him. I would suggest if you took your concordance and, and go to the concordance and look for the word sacrifice, uh, it might surprise you. Uh, that the Bible specifies uh, spiritual sacrifices we can make to God. So uh, we, though imperfect, uh, we can glorify God by making these sacrifices to Him. This is what God desires from us. If that question, instead of were what sacrifices, briefly, why would God expect us to sacrifice anything? Well, if He is God and... Uh, Praise is, is due to him, honor is due to him, prayer is due to him. Uh, it, it's showing that we appreciate and we have a sense of gratitude. I, I went to school and I would never forget one of these sayings that was uh, on the board. When the flame of grat- gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, he's well nigh hopeless. That's a very profound statement. Uh, but God, uh, and again, I go back to Romans chapter 1. Uh, that God's judgment uh, against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. And then he says, because when they knew God, they glorified him, neither were thankful. Uh, When we have a right attitude towards God in terms of understanding who he is and who we are, uh, gratitude should be a natural uh, flow from us. Yes, Pastor, we have a caller from Bendelsley, Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead quickly with your question, please. Good evening, Pastor. Hi, good evening, sir. Hi, Mr. Williams. Anything, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for calling. Yes. Pastor, I have one question. Sure. But first, I want to ask you to pray for my daughter for me that's about to make operation tomorrow. Your daughter? Well, we're going to say a prayer for her just now. What's her name? Rochelle. Rochelle. R-U-S-H-E-L. It's going for an operation? She's going to she going, going cut off her right breast tomorrow. What's there? Wow. Yeah, so she has. But she received Christ lately, so. Okay. Right. In good spirit, so I want to pray for her. Okay. I appreciate that very much. Okay. okay thanks. Uh, my question is that, uh, Pastor, your, what is your soul? Because I know from Dominion Church that your body is your soul, and I want to believe in that. Uh-huh. So you want to watch the soul? Yeah. Well, man is, man is a tripartite being. Uh, Paul, in I think it's Thessalonians, said that the Lord preserve your whole body, your soul, and your spirit. So there's a three-part to, to, to humanity. And then in the book of uh, Hebrews, it talks about the Word of God dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. There are some people who think that, you know, a, a, between the two different groups, one that claim that man is a dichotomy, a body and a soul, and people get a trichotomy of body, soul, and spirit. Uh, the key thing here is that man has a material part and man has a immaterial part that's the whole emphasis the immaterial part is where the problem comes in whether um, people make a decision between the soul and the spirit or the same generally speaking the body we all know what the body is it's physical person that you are and that's where your senses are um, your 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 spirit is that which relates to God and your soul is that where you find your, your mind your, your emotions and uh, your will so that's your personality uh, so it, it's the immaterial part of the person. Uh, the soul is not the body. Uh, the soul departs from the body. The spirit departs from the body. The Bible teaches that. So, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists make no distinction between the soul and the body. They think that when the soul dies, the body dies, the soul dies, it goes to sleep. The Bible doesn't teach that. Absent for the body, present with the Lord. Uh, and then, uh, But... 
the soul is the immaterial part of man that encompasses the, the mind, the, the in intelligence, your emotions, and uh, your will. That right. is the part of your humanity. I know that too, because I've been speaking that your body is your soul, but when I, what I realized that when, when Elijah had healed the little boy, the young boy for the widow, uh -huh. the boy tell you that his soul returned to him. Correct. Now, that so is, again, you, you, I mean, that that is so clear that uh, that's a very good example. And then the other passage where our Lord dismissed his spirit. You remember, uh, and, yeah. and, and then Peter, and then uh, when Stephen was being crucified, uh, being stoned, he said, "Lord, into Thy hand I commend my spirit." Right. Yeah. So clearly, there's not the, the, the there's an immaterial part of man that incorporates our personality. What, what makes it, the body is just a shell, and that's what sleeps in the grave. The body sleeps in the grave, but the, the spirit goes to be with the Lord, and that's why the Bible says when he comes back, he comes back uh, um, with the saints. Right, and, and, and in relation to the rapture, and that the spirit rejoins the body, because tr humanity, tr all, uh, true humanity, there's no such a true hand without a body and a spirit, because that's what constitutes man. That's why we're going to have a changed body uh, in the future. The body is part of of being a man. You can't escape that reality, but it's going to be a glorified body as opposed to a mortal body. Yeah, but there's a, uh, again, it's very simple teaching. But the reason for that, by the way, that they, they, they take the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is the, one of the great errors of the Adventist movement. They do not understand the concept of progressive revelation. They select a particular passage in the Old Testament, and uh, and they hold on to that. They don't see that the, the book of Ecclesiastes, for example, is man speaking from under the sun. Is Solomon coming to a point of disillusionment where he has an eclipse of faith, and he's just sharing his experience. Uh, in that particular uh, section. So he's speaking as a man under the sun, not as a man who is regenerated, a man that, that knows God. He's giving his view from a human perspective in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but the, when you come to the, the scriptures, you follow the Bible, it gives you progressively, it gives you more information, more information, until finally we get it. It's like the Trinity, by the way. You have very little understanding of the Trinity in the Old Testament. But progressively, you find that there's a spirit. You discover that there's a son, and then there's a father. And you mm -hmm. cannot come to the full doctrine of the Trinity in the Old Testament. It takes the New Testament to shed light on the Trinity. The same thing about the future. You can't build the future teaching on the Old Testament. Uh, you've got to understand that there's further revelation our Lord revealed through himself and through the apostles. So I agree with you. Correct, correct in that one. Yeah, because when the Bible tells you the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So yeah. you consider that they are different. What amazes me, Mr. Williams, is that those passages are so clear, but yet people seem to, to just totally ignore them and just go on to one one Old Testament passage that, that, that says that something about, uh, you know, man is like a dog dead. Uh, and uh, but again, that's 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 Solomon speaking in a, when he was in a state of disillusionment. If yeah. you don't understand the purpose of the book, you will never understand the 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 concepts that are being given in the, in the book itself. Uh, and, and that is it's really really a, a disappointment that uh, people can um, not see the fullness of the revelation that's there in the New Testament and turn to a New Testament passage and build the whole theology. An Old Testament passage, but that's what has happened, and it's very unfortunate. Okay, then thanks very much. Thank You're welcome, sir. Care. Thanks so much for calling. Yeah, and don't forget, don't no, we'll pray for Rochelle. Okay, then thank you very much. Thank you for okay. the call. We appreciate you calling in faithfully to the program and your questions, and may God give you a blessed night, and we'll be praying 
as a lighthouse staff also tomorrow for your daughter. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in from the Southern Caribbean, and it's in reference to a fairly lengthy article. So I'm going to just share some excerpts from this. Uh, It's titled, The Bible and the Number 144,000. The seven chakras, or energy levels, in the human body are each assigned a number of flower petals. So when you add from the first chakra to the sixth, you get four plus six plus ten plus twelve plus sixteen plus ninety-six equals one forty-four. Skipping down to another paragraph. The Bible is not a work of fiction, but craftily designed to confuse the ignorant. And as I said before that this great book should never be taken for granted, but should be read with your three eyes, not just your two. Everything in the Bible is heavily coded, especially Revelation 7 and 14. Open your eyes and read the Bible again. And here's the summary. And the listeners looking for your thoughts, but here's the summary of the article. So are you one of the chosen 144,000 special servants of God? If you would like to be, then you will have to go let go of all of your fears, attachments, and all of your old beliefs and allow the universe to help you understand the blowing of the seven trumpets, which basically means the awakening of the seven chakras. And once each chakra is opened, it makes a powerful but sweet sound. Pastor, what are your thoughts from a biblical worldview? I think that's pure nonsense, to be honest with you. Uh, There's no basis for that whatsoever. This seems to be a person who's either into New Age uh, theology or Hindu uh, beliefs. But this certainly is not a Christian we're talking uh, that's sent in that. That is pure, pure nonsense. There's no need for the universe to tell you anything. There's not the universe. It's God has revealed to us in His Word. And you don't need to study the chakras or whatever it is. The Word of God interprets itself. You refer to the biblical uh, principle by going to see the Bible interprets itself. Uh, and that is where you have to do your cross-references. You've got to have the biblical background. So I don't see any any uh, any logic to what is being said there. I don't see how this person that could make that kind of a statement uh, could actually be a believer. Uh, I think that he just mixed in some kind of mysticism or some kind of uh, Hinduism or, or something else. Uh, I'm not one of the 44,000, neither are you. Okay, The one of 44,000 are expressly told in the book of Revelation there are 12,000 from each Jewish nation, uh, Jewish tribe. And uh, the book of Revelation has to do with the tribulation period and how God is going to regraph Israel in this program. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. You see Paul talks about that. So I really have nothing substantial to say about this other than this is pure rubbish, has no biblical base for it, and it's unfortunate that somebody would suggest that uh, by writing this, uh, sending this thing, that they really are, are Christian in their thinking. There's no Christian thinking there whatsoever. Pastor, is there a basis for a Christian to ever forward those kind of things on Facebook or WhatsApp? Well, I, I, I don't know the person that sent that in. Quite frankly, I mean, it is not only confusing, it's... Um, it, it, it seems to me that there's a Hindu element there, and, and also, by the way, this chakra thing and stuff like that. If you ever did um, um, this thing that is so common... Um, Meditation? Yoga? Me- yoga, yoga. Again, um, it's involved a lot of this this kind, kind, of, kind of thing. It, it, it's like... It's like what the... I don't want to sound... Um, it's like what has happened in, in Brazil. 
where they've taken Christianity and, and blended in with Spiritism. Same thing has happened in Africa. They've blended uh, Christianity with Spiritism. The same thing has happened in, um, in uh, Haiti. We've taken uh, Christianity and blended it with, with Obey. That's what has happened. The two can't mix. And uh, anyone that is, 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 is mixing these kind of things are, are completely confused. Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, sir. Good evening. I, I listen for quite a, uh, a while now. Um, but you, I find you very interested. But I want to ask you this question for the first time I'm calling. What is the Trinity? What's the Trinity? Yes. Well, the, the Trinity is a, um, a truth, reveal, truth revealed in the Bible that the God of the universe uh, is one nature, but expressed himself in three different persons. This is not something that you and I can comprehend or anybody can ever comprehend. The God of the Bible is a God that nobody can comprehend, and that's what makes it so unique. You can't, you can't use your rationale to... Uh, to put God in a test group and analyze God and say this is how God is. We don't understand how uh, Jesus Christ is called God, the Holy Spirit is called God, the Father is called God. We don't understand how it is that there's one God, yet uh, yet they're, they're all given three different names. That is something that is totally mind-boggling. Uh, but there but is something that is revealed to us, just like we don't understand creation. God created by His Word. There's nobody who understands how God can just speak things into being. So we, we have as Christians to decide one of two things. We either take the Bible as God has revealed Himself through His Son and through the Holy Spirit and Himself, but yet maintain this one God, or we try to concoct or, or try to decipher it by using our rationale and come up with some kind of teaching that is contrary to what the Bible teaches. And the Trinity is a truth that is revealed to us even though we can't totally comprehend it. We don't know this. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father nor the Son. We do know that. But we do know that uh, revealed in Scripture that they're all three called God. The only explanation that the church has been able to give, and, give over the years is that we're dealing with one nature, the divine nature, shared by three persons. Now, how that works is a, gr a great mystery. Shared by three persons. Yeah. So, so would you say Jesus is God himself? He is God, but he's not God the Father. Okay. He shares the same nature as God the Father. That's why the book in, uh, in, in uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not was a God either. In the, in, in the, in the Greek language, it's not a God. Okay? So, th that's the pro by the way, that's the problem that um, the Jehovah's Witnesses have. They're trying, to, they're trying to decipher God using their mind to solve the problem rather than see what God has revealed. And what they've done, by the way, is to come up with a new translation called a New World Translation and completely destroy the Greek language. There's not a Greek scholar anywhere on planet Earth that would agree with the interpretation that the, 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 uh, the Jehovah's give. Uh, and that is part of the problem. They're trying to put God and rationalize God and put Him in, because they can't understand they say, well, if we can't understand, we can't believe it. But there's not... How many people understand that God spoke the world into existence? How many people understand that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? Yeah. Right? So it's, it, the point I'm making here, not trying to be harsh, is this. We accept what God is revealing in His Word, even though sometimes we can't comprehend all... And that's what makes me believe that the Bible is absolutely true. 
because we can't fathom God and we never can fathom God the finite cannot embrace the infinite and this is what makes it the wonder. All the other religions try to try to make God in such a way that we can totally comprehend Him. Yeah. Christianity speaks to a mystery that we don't fully understand, but it's something revealed, so we accept it by faith. And one day it will become very, very, very clear uh, what how this operates and, and, and how that you can have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, how that operates. And all, all of them, by the way, are called eternal as well. It's called the eternal Spirit, the eternal Son, the eternal Father. So that's the explanation we have. Okay, I must say smart answer, wisdom answer, yes. But I want to ask you one more. It's Go right ahead. Uh, I heard you mention Russell. I think it's Robert Russell, the name Robert Russell, last week. And it was amazing to hear you mention his name because you don't hear anybody speak about him, the founder of the Jehovah Witness. Charles T. Russell, yeah. Charles T. Russell. Charles T. Russell. Right. Uh-huh. Um, isn't the fact that he was a Catholic and then a Seventh-day Adventist and then he decided he doesn't want to have anything with Christianity? Well, the, the and, 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 and give you the, the like this, uh, um, and is it a fact that they don't have a church but they have a society and you never see the, the, the word mentioned on the Kingdom Hall Church? Yeah, well, again, look, Russell's problem was this. Let me just say, Russell's problem is that Russell had a problem with believing in a hell. He could not fathom that there could be a hell. And he had to seek out a way of of solving that problem. He was part of the the, the Seventh-day Adventists as well. He was part of that as well. The the Seventh-day Adventists, the Mormons, and the and uh, the Jehovah's Witness, all of them basically are coming for the same kind of a, a, a core situation. But uh, his problem was the difficulty of, of believing in hell, and he came up with his own interpretation. And remember, by the way, that Russell was actually taken to court, and uh, he claimed that he knew the Greek language. And when they asked him what was the what's the first letter in the Greek language, which is Alpha, he couldn't even answer. He committed perjury, at, and the, the court records to that effect. By the way, I can I can show those court records to the effect. So here's a man claiming that he is such a brilliant scholar, he understands Greek and Hebrew, but doesn't even know the first letter in the Greek language. <laughs> that gives you an idea of the character of the man. So how he died. I don't remember uh, exactly how, how Russell died, but I can check it up for you and, and give it back. I, 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 I think it's supposed to be, I heard it in a, in a pilgrim, and it was said that he he was sacrificed. But you could double check that, and I would like to um, uh, get a final. Um, yeah, I will check that out for you and report to you next next week. Okay, thank you. Thank you for calling. God bless. Keep on the good work. God bless you too. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the call. It's always good to have first-time callers here on That's Truth. We are broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Let me just take a quick moment to say thank you to those of you who were praying for safety as we did tower maintenance this week. We completed the tower maintenance, and all is operating at full power. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is six and a half minutes after 8 p.m. That means that we have over 50 minutes left in the program. Still plenty of time for you to invite someone else to tune into That's Truth and to send in your questions yourself. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is now open and available. 
1-268-462-7420. We'll put you live on the air. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268-782-1454. And you can have a peek behind the scenes, see what goes on here in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the link, for the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions while you listen and watch the program from behind the scenes. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7 minutes after 8 p.m. Pastor, we have a question that has come in, a multifaceted question from Antigua. Good night. This relates to last week. What are your views on the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib doctrine, what's the first and second resurrection, and what does the 144,000 signify? Well, the pre-trib, mid-trib, we are pre-trib, basically. All the independent Baptist churches are pre-trib. What pre-tribulation teaches, basically, is that we believe that the church is going to be raptured before God pours out his wrath on the, the, the world. Uh, and the reason for that is that Paul tells us the Lord God has not appointed the church to, to wrath. Okay, and uh, in the pa- passage that is given to us in Thessalonians and, and Corinthians chapter fifteen about the rapture, it is given to comfort the believer. Uh, and it's always a desire that, that the idea is that you know you're waiting for the Lord to take you out. So what comfort is there if you're going to go to wrath? Okay. The other thing is that if you go into the book of Revelation, chapter 1 to, th- to, um, to 3, the church is mentioned chapter 2 and 3. Then in chapter 4, John is told to come up to heaven. It's almost a type of the church being brought up. From chapter uh, 4 to chapter 21, the church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation. So that is very, very clear that something has taken place here. And I think the fact that John is, is called up is almost that the church, he becomes an example of the church uh, being called up. The, the, the other thing is that when you go into the, uh, when he's called up to heaven, he's given uh, 24 elders uh, stand around the, the, the throne. And it's, it's uh, in biblical um, um, terminology and, and bi- biblical symbolism, uh, it's believed that those 12 represent the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel, basically. So the whole idea is that Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Pastor, we have a caller that has called in with a question. We'll come back to that WhatsApp question from Antigua. Thank you for calling. That's truth. And go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, I want to you know that in Revelation, it said death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Yeah. Uh, what, what that mean? And then the second, it, well, it was a man after God's own heart. And what that mean? Okay. Uh, de- death and hell was cast. The word there is Hades. Okay. Two different things altogether. You remember in the Old Testament, uh, Hades is the, the place where the dead goes. Okay? Okay. Right. So when it says death and Hades, basically it's casting lake of fire. That is where the, the death itself ends, and also Hades, where the departed death are, uh, dead are. That would be mm-hmm. completely done away with. There'd be no more Hades. So they'd be okay. cast. And, and remember that uh, prior to our Lord's resurrection, when a believer died in the Old Testament, uh, if you read um, 
uh, John, sorry, Luke chapter 16, our Lord using the illustration of the dead Lazarus and the rich man, clearly that they go to two parts. The, the wicked went to a part where they were tormented, and mm-hmm. the and the and the uh, the person who believed went to a place who is comforted. So yeah. the, the part of the dead in Hades, there were two compartments clearly, and the Bible okay. said one could not go to the other. When Christ died on the cross. If you read uh, the book of Ephesians, he led captive to captive. He took all those from Hades, all the saints, and he took them to be with him. Now when a believer dies, he goes to be with the Lord, absent the body dead with the Lord. So the whole idea there is that uh, the death and Hades where the wicked are will be cast in lake of fire. That is, that's what it means. That's what it means? Yeah. The lake of fire is Gehenna, different word altogether. That's the final place of, of, of uh, the abode of the wicked. But but uh, Hades was a temporary uh, place where people went. But again, you got to be judged finally, and then you cast into Gehenna, which is the, okay. the final called the Lake of Fire. Yeah. And the next one is when the Bible said David was a man after God's own heart. What do it mean? Well, it, look. You, if you read, uh, this is a puzzle that is probably bothered you and bothered me as well. How does a man after God's own heart commit the sin that David did? Not only did he commit oh, okay. adultery, but he also turned around and murdered the woman's husband. I mean, clearly. But again, yeah. if you read the Psalms, mm-hmm. you you ever ask yourself the question: How did David find time to to write the Psalms? Hmm. You think about that for just a moment. You know, he's a warrior, he's a king, he has a dress, but yet he has time to write psalms. So I think what, what really happened is David, like all of us, was made of, of clay. David had his mistakes. But in David's heart, David's heart was really towards God. He was panting after God. And I think that's what it means. It doesn't mean that David was perfect. It just means that David was a man whose heart was inclined towards God. And you can't read the Psalms without figuring out. Many times I've asked myself, how did he find time to write? And then some of the Psalms that he wrote are completely, I mean, it is just out of this world. It shows you the level of spirituality the man was at. But again, he is made of feet of clay, and he made a big mistake, which c- completely colored his entire future and hurt his family. But in his heart, you can't read the Psalms without seeing his man's, this man's whole life was actually focused on God, in spite of the fact he had this weakness. And uh, all of us got a kind of weakness, brother. And uh, But the thing is that his heart was towards God. I think that's what it really means. Yeah. Yeah, okay, thanks a lot, Pastor Murphy. And I want you to continue to pray for my son that is in Antigua. Yeah, I, listen, I, I, I want you to know this. As soon as the COVID, uh, they allow us to go to the, the place you told me, mm-hmm. I will go there. But the COVID, uh, they, we're not allowing yeah. people to come there. But I haven't forgotten you. Yeah, I'm trying to, I, I won't come up to Antigua as, as soon as this, this COVID thing is done. Uh-huh. So, and I'll visit the church and everything. Okay, God bless you. Thanks, thanks for calling. Appreciate that, sir. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you for your call from Virgin Gorda, if I remember correctly. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.13. Pastor, we'll jump back into this question, WhatsApp question from Antigua in relation to pre-trib. Yeah, I, I was just mentioning, to be very honest with you, that, uh, you know, I believe in the pre-tribulation. I don't believe the church is going to go to a tribulation. I believe the, the rapture is the hope of the church. That's what we look forward to. We're not looking forward to wrath. We're looking forward to be taken out before the wrath. And again, I, I think the, the biblical, there's always, I, I mentioned some time ago, there's always an Old Testament um, image of a New Testament truth. And just like Enoch was translated and taken out before the flood came, and uh, destroy the world 
That is exactly what will happen to the church. The church will be translated, and then God begins to deal with the the evil and deal with the, the Jewish people and deal with the uh, the Gentile powers. What was the other question? The second part was, what's the first and second resurrection? Well, the first resurrection um, of the dead has to do with all who share and who are all who are going to go into into heaven, basically all who will be saved. And by the way, the different resurrections that are part of the first resurrection, um, the rapture and the resurrection of the saints, that is part of the first resurrection. But also if you read the book of uh, the book of um, Revelation, the tribulation saints will also share in the first resurrection. So it's not just one, um, it's called the first resurrection, but it refers to all who are saved, all who are redeemed will share in that first resurrection. The second resurrection, the final resurrection, where the, the, those who are unsaved, all the unsaved people of the world will stand before God. It's called the great white throne judgment. That's the second resurrection. And the third part of the question is, and what does the 144,000 signify? Well, the 144,000 uh, in the book of Revelation is very, very clear. It's, it's 12,000 from each tribe of Israel that will become the evangelists during the end, end period. When the church is raptured, uh, read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Paul talks about the Gentiles, uh, uh, Israel is in blindness, but then he says that, you know, the time is coming when God will graft Israel back into his program. That's where Israel would come in again. And, and let me just say this. People will never understand Bible prophecy as long as you eliminate the role for Israel in the future. And the moment you do that, you've, you've completely abandoned all the promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament. Israel made, God made promise to Israel of a certain landmass, and he demarcated that landmass from the River Nile right up to the River Euphrates. That has never been Israel's. God has never made a promise that he will not keep. And God is going to fulfill that promise. He also said that one will sit on the throne of David that will rule forever. The only one that can rule forever from the throne of David is Christ, who is eternal. And, and uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, we find there as well that he will sit on the throne of David and rule forever when he was born. So he has to set up his millennial kingdom uh, to fulfill the promises they made for Israel. And that's what we believe uh, the millennial kingdom is about. So here's what we believe. In our present state, what we're waiting on the church now is a rapture where our Lord will come and remove the church. When he removes the church, he begins to, the time of the Gentiles now comes to an end, and he begins to pour his wrath on the Gentile nations. The evil world that we're living in is what he pours the judgment on. By the time God has finished his thing, almost half the world's population will be destroyed. Revelation tells you that as well. And then part of the, during this time when the church is now raptured, the question is, who is going to be the witnesses for God during the earth? And that is where he selects and chooses 144,000 uh, Jewish people who become his witnesses to carry the gospel of the kingdom to the to the end of the world. And they're the ones that will do the work of evangelism during this period of time because the church is raptured. So that's what the 144, it's not 144,000 uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And by the way, uh, if you are Jehovah's Witness, uh, the only 144,000 are going to heaven. The others are not going to heaven. So... I'm pretty sorry for you uh, if that's your condition, but that's that's what they teach. 
we don't believe that. The 144,000 are specified uh, in the book of Revelation. The, the 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. That's what they are. Are you enjoying the program thus far? I hope and trust that you are. We are going to go ahead and jump into our topic for tonight and can begin discussing it. We will by no means have chance to discuss it completely. But if you have a question, please don't hesitate to call and interrupt us to ask your question, or you can send it via WhatsApp, or you can send it on Facebook. Our topic relates to the crossing of the development of medical science and how what that means in our day and age. The topic is human artificial insemination. Pastor, as we often do when we start new topics, can you define what is human artificial insemination and why is it such becoming such a big issue? Well, uh, I think if we know what insemination is for animals, basically, as you said, it's transferring the technology uh, from the animal um, kingdom, basically, into the, the, the into the human kingdom. And basically, a doctor inserts sperms uh, directly into a woman's cervix or into her Philippian tubes or the uterus that she um, may become pregnant and, uh, as a result, produce a child. So it it is basically applying uh, scientific technology now to, to humankind, so that the same way we can create uh, artificial births through um, artificial means in animals. Now we now transfer that technology uh, to deal with with, with humankind. Um, part of the reason why this is uh, becoming so common and so po- popular basically has to do with the fact that. Um, infertility has always been very devastating uh, to people, and especially to women, uh, when they can't have a child. Uh, and now we find that in the past there was very little that could be done. But now with the advance in technology uh, and reproductive biology, it now provides us with the possibility of having a child artificially. Uh, so. Uh, that's where we are, but of course, this new technology raises a lot of moral and ethical issues that we need to perhaps deal with and see what the Bible uh, has to say with these things about this matter. But um, in spite of the moral and the ethical issues that it raised, the demand for artificial reproduction is something that is increasing uh, significantly. Uh, as a matter of fact, we are almost entering what I call an Orwellian uh, society. Uh, um, um, it's or you've read of uh, Huxley's Brave New World. The the technology and how it's going to be used to control man and the things that man is able to do is frightening. But when we talk about this matter of artificial insemination and the different type of reproductive technologies that are available, we're now into a twilight zone where we are beginning to play God and we know the fine line between acknowledging God's sovereignty and uh, man's responsibility that line is almost becoming erased and uh, consequently a lot of issues need to be looked at from a biblical perspective especially for Christians on these matters I'm sure you'll discuss this more in depth but to kind of whet our appetites are we supposed to be using science advancements? There's nothing wrong in doing scientific advancement. The reason for that is that man was given dominion. And uh, if you think about it for just a moment, uh, think of the way science has helped us uh, cure diseases, 
uh, and there's nothing wrong in, in man pursuing um, knowledge and wisdom, etc., etc. I think man has been given that, but man is a steward, and man has got to know where to draw the line. Yeah, and I think that there are certain biblical principles that help man to know where to draw the line, and that's the problem today. We're living in a scientific world where man has abandoned God because the theory of evolution has taken over the scientific world. So there's no line of demarcation any longer. Man is now the means and the measure of all things, and that's where Christians come into conflict with this whole matter. The unfortunate thing, Nathan, is that Christians, rather than hold a biblical position, have compromised their position and embraced the evolutionary theory. And my question, my, my position is very, very clear. When you uh, deny the Creator, you are not a Christian because the fact that man was created is what made man a moral being. And, if, and the fact of the fall as well Evolution cannot explain the fall. So the whole system of theology crumbles the moment you get rid of the Creator. And that's what evolution has done. But there are still people holding on to certain biblical ideas uh, while at the same time holding to evolutionary theory, and the two cannot mix. And I think that these are people who are totally, totally deceived because they have not fully followed up and understood the repercussions of holding to a position on this matter. But I think that the, the scientific world gone in the evolutionary vein has now crossed over the line and uh, we as Christians calling them back to responsible behavior and uh, acknowledging God, um, this has not gone well with those who oppose the Christian faith and would rather live in a secular world. Pastor, do you believe that the Bible has the answers to all of life's challenges or principles that can be applied? There's no problem man will ever face that there's not some biblical principle that has bearing on that. The reason for that is the Bible is all-sufficient. God has given to us all that pertain to life and godliness. There are no, uh, any, any particular problem we have, there are biblical principles to guide us to know exactly, uh, should we hold to this, should we avoid this, uh, is this something that we are overstepping our bounds? And I think if we apply those biblical principles, it will help us. Without that, man is left his own wisdom, and God's wisdom is far superior to humankind. I'm looking forward to hearing you take those biblical principles and apply them to this topic. Again, the topic is human artificial insemination. Pastor, as we continue this discussion, could you give us a brief history of artificial insemination and how it has crossed this bridge into being extended to humans? Well, uh, I think most people know that we started artificial insemination when it comes to animals in the 14th century. Um, an Italian uh, biologist by the name of Lazzaro, uh, I'm trying to pronounce his name, uh, Spallalanzi. Uh, Spallalanzi. Uh, he started experimenting with frogs and dogs, and uh, as a result of that, um, this is how it actually got going. Um, I don't have to tell you today that that has been very successful. Uh, for example, 95% of all the cattle in Denmark are done through artificial insemination. Wow. Um, 70% in England is done by artificial insemination. In America, it is 66.7%. So that technology has been very beneficial because you can improve the, the, the breed of the animal. You can get more milk. You can get, depending on how you deal with the, the crossbreeding, et cetera, et cetera, and the kind of uh, sperm that you take from different animals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that was transferred to um, 
try it out on human beings. And uh, the first successful experiment on human ins- artificial insemination was by an English doctor by the name of John Hunter in 1790. Uh, the Americans uh, started it in 1866 by a guy called Marion Sims. But again, the practice uh, fell out of favor because there was a public outcry against the idea of artificially inseminating human beings. Um, so that's how it started. It started by the Englishman, John Hunt, in 1790, and then in 1866, um, it started, uh, an American was able to, 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 to get it uh, going. It has only now been revived in the 19th century, basically, that you're having this technology being now utilized uh, uh, to, to create this means of having a child um, artificially. As a matter of fact, by 1979, there were already 750,000 U.S. Pe- uh, children born to artificial insemination. 750,000 750, uh, by, by 1979. Wow. So that gives you an idea. And presently, uh, the last fact I got, between 30,000 to 60,000 uh, people are now uh, born that way in, in the U.S. It might be more than that, but that's the last one I had between sixty and uh, thirty and sixty thousand. So it's a lot more so prevalent than I realized. Oh yeah, a lot, lot, lot more prevalent. Um, the other thing too, Nathan, is that because it is so common, you now have commercial sperm banks where you can uh, buy they buy sperm, store sperms, and sell store sperms that are frozen. As a matter of fact, you also have a situation where you can have sperms delivered to your home in a kit. For you, for the whole, so you can actually perform it, uh, have it done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's becoming very, very popular, very, very popular, and um, I think it's it's going to increase, uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But that is exactly what has happened uh, on this matter. Is it possible to categorize? Uh, different forms of artificial insemination. We're getting through this kind of basic foundation, and then we'll talk about the biblical perspective. Well, well there are two basic types of uh, artificial insemination, one called AIH, which is the uh, artificial insemination of the husband. He, he makes this, the donation of the sperms. Uh, maybe his wife is infertile. Maybe he his sperm count is so low that um, the attempts of natural intercourse doesn't lead to a child being born. So what he does, he ejaculates. They take the sperm, they wash the sperm, and then they inject the sperm directly into the into the womb. Uh, that is um, artificial insemination by the husband, but there's a something called artificial insemination by a, a donor, AID. And this is where uh, a person donate sperm, but it's a misnomer to call it a donation because there's some costs to this. Uh, people today uh, sell their sperms to these sperm banks. Um, uh, to use an example here, there's a young uh, UCLA um, graduate who actually made $50 per week, and what he would do basically is to go into the Southern Caliber, uh, uh cryo bank, ejaculate and sell his two sets of sperm. So every week he would do that for two weeks, and he made twenty five dollars for each set. So he made fifty dollars a term. Uh, but it has become a, a commercial business now. So you can actually make money uh, by selling your sperms. So let me stop you right there and ask you: 
Is that what God had in mind when he created the male and the female? Well, it's clearly when we come to deal with that matter that this is a violation of biblical principle because not only that, Nathan, God intended marriage and children to be a product of the husband and the wife, okay, not some donor. So when we go and we take a donor, if the husband can't produce the sperm, we are actually completely annulling what biblical marriage is about. And we've got to understand that that's where I say to you, we've got to go back to Bible principles to find should Christians be involved in this kind of thing. And the only way you can get those kind of answers is to go back to f- discover what was God's original intent in order to get some guidelines and making those kind of decisions. So you were, did you have anything else to mention about AID? No, I think those are the two main. Uh, the, the most today, uh, the problem is not so much when the husband makes a donation because it's his wife, it's his sperm. Uh, the problem comes with the use of these donors who, and you've got these donation banks, et cetera, et cetera. That's where the problem comes in. And by the way, you'll discover later that some of these people have um, sired as many as 105 children. The question is, and and they don't have the record, so you can have incest taking place where mm-hmm. the, this guy has produced all these kids from donated sperms. The question is, when you meet, you don't even know who the father is, so you're going to have incestuous relations are possible. That complicates and that goes against biblical principles again. We are, we are going to a complete mess in this whole thing because when men depart from biblical truth, it ends up in total confusion, and we're going to end up in more moral confusion because you deviate from biblical truth. Couldn't you make that same argument, though, about adoption? Because you don't always know who your biological parents are in the case of adoption? Well, uh, adoption, uh, basically... I know that's a loaded question. No, it's not not, not so much a loaded question. Uh, Adoption, uh, if you take adoption, really, is looking for somebody who doesn't have a a parent. Normally, it's a, a family that maybe want two children or can only have two children and they want other children. Maybe they have resources now or maybe they, they're in a situation where they have better means of dealing with that. Uh, I don't see it as the same thing. You're not, you're not implanting a sperm in a, in a mom. You're, you're actually somebody as a child you're taking into your, into your family. And don't forget in the Old Testament, there's a lot of um, concern about orphans and widows mm-hmm. so the the biblical base of taking care of an orphan who is a person who is a um, who doesn't have a mother or father you have a biblical warrant for at least caring for that person and bringing that person to your family it's not the same thing it, it, two different things altogether. along those same lines again I'm sure someone else has this thought because it came to me so if your choice is to adopt mm-hmm. or your choice is let's say the husband has a low sperm count, mm-hmm. and get a random donor and use his wife's egg, mm-hmm. the child is now half your child, or is is now half of the, mm-hmm. the, the wife's child. Is that not better than adopting a complete stranger? No, that's like a woman having sex with your wife. Basically, okay. it boils down to that. It boils down to that in the sense it's just as though she she inseminated him naturally. We're dealing with two different things altogether. Uh, you're violating a biblical norm that a husband and a wife should have a child if there's a child to be born to them, mm-hmm. right? That's not the same as adopting somebody else's child into your family. Two different things altogether. So we need to make a fine line of demarcation there. And the problem there is that, and by the way, we'll t- we'll talk about this. Hopefully, what are some of the complications? 
you'd be surprised what are some of the results of, uh, of, of, of husbands who have done this. And then later, the child becomes like a sore spot, reminds him of his failure all the time. He has a, a hard problem dealing with the child. It affects his marriage. Uh, it it de- destroys his sense of egotism, his ego. Not only that, it seems as though a third party has come between his home and his marriage. So there are a lot of complications, a lot of issues that need to be looked at. Uh, but uh, they're not the same. Pastor, are there other types of reproduction technologies out there? There are several different types of uh, uh, reproductive uh, technologies. Um, there's one called in vitro fertilization, IVF. And this is where they, um, they take the egg to be fertilized and uh, they grow it outside uh, the womb for a short period of time. And then they, what they do, they take the woman and they treat her hormones to stimulate the maturation of the egg. The egg is then impl- uh, removed by means of, uh, uh, um, I suppose people know this word, laparoscopy, um, and it's placed in a, in a dish. And then it is fertilized with sperms. And then a period of time is allowed uh, for this embryo to develop. And then it is surgically implanted into the womb. So actually you're taking a, a sperm from a person, removing the egg from a mother, putting them together outside the child, uh, let the, the embryo be formed, and then you implant that into the into the, the womb of the mother. By the way, they're, they're talking about creating now something called an artificial placenta so that the child can actually grow outside the womb for a wow. period of time. I mean, this is where we're going. We're going to, I, I can't emphasize it, we're coming to the point where we are entering the an age, the Orwellian age of, of uh, science and the Huxley age, um, we are really, really crossing the line, and man is now becoming more, playing more like God than he's ever been, and I don't think it's going to improve. I think it's going to get worse. You said there's multiple types. Yeah, then there's a gamete uh, infrafallopian uh, transfer. This is where a physician uses a, a laparoscope, he inserts the egg and the sperm directly into the woman's fallopian tube so that fertilization could take place in the tube itself. So that's where the insertion takes place. It's not like in vitro where it's actually done in a test, uh, in, a, in a, a dish, and then put it. It's something completely different. And then there's something called intrauterine uh, insemination, and this is where a frozen sperm of the husband or donor is inserted with a catheter into the uterus, and bypassing the cervix and the upper Virginia, Virginia, and that is where the the, the fertilization t- t- can take place in the in the womb. And then there is the zygote uh, intrafallopian transfer. Um, this is a two-step procedure where the egg uh, are fertilized in the laboratory, and any zygotes that are formed are transferred to the fallopian tubes itself. And then there's something called the intra. Uh, cytoplasmic uh, sperm injection. This is a physician uses a, a, a microscopic pipette and uh, injects a single sperm into an egg, in the zy- and, and, and the zygote is placed in the, in the uterus. So those are the different artificial means of, of doing this kind of thing. By the way, Nathan, uh, for a live birth of this nature, it's like $50,000 wow. that you have to, to pay. Uh, normally, uh, sometimes it costs between $7,000 uh, per trial. Uh, so it's very expensive. This is mainly where a lot of people who are rich really would, would engage in this kind. The average person, that kind of money is, is outside their scope. 
Why do you believe that there's an increasing demand for this artificial, human artificial insemination? Well, there are several reasons that um, have led to this, this phenomenon. Um, there is, of course, the declining fertility rate of, of women. Uh, it's a, a fact that uh, the explanation uh, of why this would be so is it's 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 concerning some people uh, sometimes you've got vaginal tumors that would prevent women from having this sometimes the scarring of the vagina especially people of abortion that's the biggest problem there uh women need to understand that when you go through an abortion the the uterus can be scarred and that can do tremendous damage then of course sometimes the abnormal position of the uterus uh where they can't be pregnant and then sometimes the cervical opening is so small, uh, it, it, it just shuts out the, the... And then the obesity is another big problem. Uh, so, but the, the thing is, the declining fertility of women is one of the other one things. And then there's a, uh, the, the shrinking amount of babies. Uh, it, it's becoming now that single mothers are... Unwed mothers are now tending more to take care of the babies than before. Okay. Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Thank you for calling. Go ahead with your question, please. Hello? Yes, sir. We're listening. Yeah, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Good to hear you, Nathan. I went to turn on my radio, so... Okay, how can I... I? The reception is still on. Okay. What what can we do for you tonight? Ah... Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 24. I would like you to reference that. Okay, let me, okay. See, if I, let me see if I can answer. Luke 21, 20 to 24 says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let them that are in the countries enter therein too. Verse 22. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be a great distress in the land, and wrath upon the people. And verse 24 says... And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Yeah, that particular reference has to do with 70 AD. That is when Titus uh, destroyed Jerusalem and sent the Jews into captivity. Uh, our Lord had warned him about that. He said, the house is less unto you desolate. And he also said that... Um, that not one stone would be left unturned, uh, and that had to do with the fact that when the you know the Jerusalem was destroyed in seventy eighty, the entire nation of Israel was sent into exile. To the nation in seventy eighty, and that is what our Lord is warning warning them against. And they notice that they'd be destroyed with a sword. Uh, in, in, so that took place in seventy eighty when the Jewish nation was scattered. Does that answer your question, Nathan? Yes, um, let me see. So, it won't be something that would be happening again. 
Well, the, the prophecy, a, a type of that prophecy is going to happen. In other words, the same abomination of desolation the Bible talks about in, in um, Matthew chapter 24. This is a type of what happened then, but this particular passage has to do with the fact that the Lord had prophesied, told them, you know, when they rejected him, that not one stone. By the way, it's interesting that the reason why not one stone of the temple will be left unturned is because when the Roman soldiers came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and burnt the temple, the the gold that was in the temple melted in between the stones, and to get the gold, they completely ripped up all the stones. So he said, not one stone will be left unturned. So the prophecy was fulfilled, but uh, was fulfilled for uh, the reason of get, trying to get the gold from inside, inside the temple. But that is a prophecy that took place in 70 AD when the Jews were scattered in 70 AD to the uttermost part of the world. And that's why, by the way, uh, the Lord had prophesied he'll bring Jerusalem back. And that took place in 1948. For 2,000 years, the Jews did not exist as a nation from 70 AD until 1948 when the United Nations created uh, what is called Israel today. But again, Bible prophecy in the book of uh, Ezekiel and the book of um, Isaiah had prophesied that the Lord would bring Israel back because Israel is central to prophecy. Uh, and you would not understand the book of Revelation if you don't understand the role that Israel is going to play. And you would not understand the need for the rapture and the difference between the rapture and the revelation unless you understand that Israel is not finished. And the reason why Israel is not finished is because God made promises to Israel that were never fulfilled. God has never made a promise that he will not keep. And remember that all of those promises made to Israel were unilateral promises, especially the one with Abraham when he walked between the animals uh, 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 in, in the dream. Uh, God walked between the animals. It was a unilateral covenant. And remember that the land of Israel goes to the river Nile, to the river Euphrates. That has never, ever been uh, in any case. And that has to be fulfilled. And there are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament has to be fulfilled in relation to Israel that were never fulfilled. So that's where, when the church is taken out, God now grafts his program back into Israel, into Israel and begins to work out his program for Israel. And that's why there needs to be a millennial kingdom, because our Lord has to rule from Jerusalem. And that's where there must be a millennial kingdom when our Lord returns. Okay, I was just wondering. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, that's a good question, Nathan. I hope we are glad we can help you again. And God bless you. Thank you so much for calling. We really appreciate your calls. Um... Have you ever read about the Queen of Heaven? The Queen of Heaven? There's a Queen of Heaven mentioned in the book of, uh, I think, Isaiah or Jeremiah, but the Queen of Heaven... Jeremiah. Yeah. I've read about that. But that's a false god. Yeah. Yes. That the, especially the women. Yeah. That were worshipping... It's also mentioned worship. Ezekiel. Ezekiel is mentioned in Ezekiel. Yeah, but that, that's one of the, the pagan gods... Uh, of course, what has happened with that is that the Catholics have now made Mary the Queen of Heaven. You know that. Yeah. We have a church in Barbados named uh, after Mary the Queen of Heaven, to be honest with you. And, I, and again, it is part of the paganism that was entered into the Catholic Church when Constantine uh, made Christianity the religion of, of uh, the empire. They brought everything that was in the pagan religion into Christianity so that the pagans would feel comfortable uh, worshipping as Christians. So all the all the practices and all the days that were formerly pagan, they now, they, they now gave them Christian names. But a lot of these things, if you read the history of it, it is really, really heartbreaking what the church did. And, uh, of course, to try to salvage that now, to change that, 
uh, create so many problems that some people think you're an enemy of the church because you bring these things to their attention. But we're not enemies of the church. We're just speaking truth. Okay. Um, in Ezekiel, speak about the woman weeping for Tamez. Right, right. Tamez and, uh, yeah, I, I know that. I, um, yeah, um, I, I, I preach a sermon on that. Uh, where he uh, told Ezekiel to peep through the wall and see what's going on, so I'm yeah. familiar with that that passage. But that's a, p- a pagan um, idolatry that is mentioned there. Uh, it's not something that the Christians should engage in. So this Queen of Heaven was one of the reasons why God jo- drove the children of Israel out of Israel. Yeah, to yeah. go into the Babylonish camp. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah. I, I was trying to remember the name of the uh, the Thomas and his his mom. I can't remember her name right off the bat, but maybe next week I'll mention it. But it was because of their idolatry and their worshiping. And there's more than one God that is mentioned there in the book of Ezekiel, that even in the temple they had taken these idols and set up in the temple, and the priests are supposed to direct the people to the worship of God. They're allowing these, these, this idolatry to take place in the temple. That's why God destroyed the temple and the glory left the temple, because his house, that was supposed to be a house of worship, of himself became the worship of pagan gods and God said that you know and they, that's why the Jews have a problem understanding why would God destroy the temple but they so polluted the temple and so abused it that God said I will not only destroy the city but I'll destroy the temple myself and the Bible said the glory left the temple and we know that glory will return in the book of Ezekiel when the millennial kingdom is set up there's a new temple that will be built during the Berlin Kingdom, and the glory will return then. Yes, in the chapter 11 of Revelation, what temple is that? Revelation 11? 11, yes, verses 1, 2, and 3, I think. But he'll have to read it. Revelation chapter 11, 1, 2, and 3 says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under the forty and two months and I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth yeah don't forget that the millennial kingdom is, is uh, the, 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 the kingdom uh, uh, I'm sorry a temple is going to be rebuilt uh, during the tribulation period we know that because we're told in the book of Second Thessalonians that a man of sin will be in the temple of God claiming that he is God so we know that the Jews are going to rebuild the temple. As a matter of fact, there's actually a, a temple, um, I forgot the name of it, but they've actually, the Jews already have prepared the implements for the temple already. Don't you know that? The, they've made the... Yes, I heard about it. Yeah, they have already done that. They're now preparing. The, the, the problem, of course, is that the, the mosque is where the temple should be. The problem is, how is that going to be solved? How would the, would, the, would the Muslims allow a temple to be built? Uh, but the Muslim mosque is on the Temple Mount. Now, remember when they had the Scud missiles when they had the, uh, some time ago when the, it was the invasion? I actually thought that was the solution to the problem. I literally thought that when the, the, um, the 
Iraqis were, were sh- shooting missiles into Israeli Scud missiles. I literally thought that one would have veered off and destroyed the the, the, the mosque and give Israel the time. I thought that's what was going to happen. And I was expecting it to happen. It never happened because I know the temple has to be rebuilt. I know the Jews have already got all the implements. The thing that stops them at this point in time is that mosque. And I think that something is going to happen in the future that Israel is not going to be the one to destroy that mosque. But I believe that maybe Iran... Somewhere in Ezekiel, I read one time that uh, there is a profane place where the temple of Ezekiel, when it would be built, Uh that it would be near to the profane place, so I don't know. Yeah. If it would be the dome of the rock. Yeah. Well, I don't know either, but we know one thing that the temple is going to be rebuilt. We know the Jews already have got the material for the whole thing, uh, as far as the temple, etc. So the temple is going to be rebuilt during the millennial kingdom. We know that, and uh, and that is what Revelations chapter you mentioned is, is all about. Uh, the Gentiles will have control of that temple until for forty-two months. I remember in in, uh, Daniel chapter 9, I think it's verse 27, the Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel for seven years. They will allow Israel to go back to worship for seven years. In the midst of the seven years, he said he will break the covenant and uh, take away the sacrifice. So that seven-year period called the tribulation period, in the midst of the tribulation, is when Israel for the first time will realize that this Antichrist has totally deceived them because they've, they've signed this peace covenant with him, and now he breaks the covenant, ends the sacrifice. That means that the, the Jews have now been given permission to continue and to have their sacrifice. The temple is rebuilt. They're given permission. Look, all of this is pieces of a puzzle, and we're trying to figure out how it's going to happen. But we know it's going to happen, and, and God will make this happen. And I think when it happens, uh, we're not going to be here, of course, because we'll be raptured. We'll be looking down, probably saying, no, now I understand how this whole thing comes together. But the temple is going to be rebuilt uh, on, on, by, by Israel. There will be restoration of sacrifices there. Uh, and we know that uh, Ezekiel, uh, the last, I think, five chapters of Ezekiel, talks about this temple, give you the dimensions of it, et cetera, et cetera. Nathan, thank you very much okay, for your thanks, sir. Now, We really appreciate your call from Nevis. Appreciate you listening and encouraging others to listen. Pastor, the time is 8.52. We have six and a half minutes left in tonight's program. We have a couple of WhatsApp questions that have come in during that phone call. Good evening. What about the situation where someone else carries the fertilized egg? The sperm is from the husband and the ovary or the egg from the wife the wife is unable to carry the child full term so someone else such as a sibling of one of the parents or even a mother of one of the parents carries the child to full term again uh, by the way you don't have to get a sibling there are women who are willing to rent out their womb uh, to carry the child and it's a business um one university student, which I'll point out sometime um, later, maybe in part of the program, who actually um, put an ad for that, $15,000, and she's prepared to take uh, carry the child f- full length. Uh, her idea was that, um, you know, she was, it was her womb, basically, and she's making money, and she's going to study, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I don't think that that is proper either. We've got to, look, 
if God doesn't give a child, can we accept that maybe God didn't intend for for you to have a child? There are many times in the Old Testament where people did not have children. And sometimes God gave them children in their old age. I know of a woman who had a child when she was like 45. I mean, that might seem old to some people, but there are people who had children later than that. We've got to stop playing God and accept God's sovereignty. If children are a heritage of God and a gift from God, if God is withholding a child, we don't have to go to this this means that is non-biblical in order to have a child. So I don't uh, support the idea that maybe a, a daughter could carry the... Think about that for just a moment, or a cousin, or whatever it is. I think that when we begin to deal with biblical principles, I was I, I think I would uh, be able to show you that that's outside the bounds of the biblical principles that draw to your attention that should put some kind of a harness or some kind of a, a pail as far as where we can go in this whole matter. We, we look forward to dealing with this subject in much more depth next week. Uh, Pastor, we have a caller Go ahead with your question, please. Thank you for calling. We have just a couple minutes left in the program, so please oh. be brief. Yeah. How can a heavenly woman who is called the queen in, in heaven, how can she, how can she so worshiping Deborah? Because I just heard it on um, your um, interview with the guy from saying it. What's that question? I'm not sure I understood what you said. How come in the Bible talk about the queen in the land and in in heaven? And if the queen is in heaven, nobody knows what one queen is in heaven. Because they have a king. They have a king who is God. They have a, 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 a queen who is um, Mary. No, 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 no. But uh, I think, I think, I think, sir, if you had some time and you're going to the book of Ezekiel, if you have a concordance, I'll check it out for you. I can't give you the reference right off the bat, but I'll give it to you next week. The queen of heaven there is a false god that was worshipped by the Babylonians. And what did what the Jews did, they'd gotten so far away from God that the very temple that God had built to worship himself alone, they introduced all these idols because they'd gone away from God. They introduced the title of Baal, the Babylonian gods. So the temple became a pantheon of pagan gods including a pagan uh, representation of the Queen of Heaven, which is a Babylonian god. So it's not merely Queen of Heaven that the Bible is talking It's talking about a false pagan god that was worshipped by the Babylonians that Israel had put up in the temple, an image of her, that brought God's judgment on the nation so that God not only destroyed the city of Israel and the nation of Israel, he actually destroyed the temple itself because it had become defiled and polluted as a result of all this idolatry. That's what that Queen of Heaven is about. It's mean, but what about um, the, the the book? Who write the book about the Queen in Heaven? Is, is it um, Fatliman that write the Bible? Abano, um, the devil that write it? No, Ezekiel is a prophet who condemns the practice. So in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel uh, condemns Israel for the idolatry, but he mentions what the idolatry was about. You're also going to, not just uh, Ezekiel, you read the book of Kings, where we discover that Jezebel, 
the queen of Israel introduced Baalism, which is false gods, into Israel. That's mentioned in the Bible as well. It's just recording a narrative of what took place, a historical event, so that people understood. It's not that they're endorsing the practice of Baalism or false doctrine or false teaching of, or idols. It's just drawing attention that this is exactly what the queen did. And again, God destroyed Jezebel because she introduced idolatry into Israel and Baalim worship. So the fact that Ezekiel mentions the Queen of Heaven is not approval of the Queen of Heaven. He's, he's, he's condemning the nation for allowing such idolatry to be part of the worship of Israel. And so God, in his judgment, decided that he had had enough of this idolatry and he destroyed the temple. I would say um, get um, a, a verse about it because I don't have a verse about it, but I know that the Queen of Heaven, she has 12 stars on her head. Yeah. And the 12 stars represent um, the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. So, um, no, you're talking about, you're talking about, you're talking about, you're talking about, no, 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 you're talking about something in Revelation. Now, I'll deal with that next week. Yeah, you're talking about, about Re- not, and that is not Mary, by the way, that's Israel. That's the, the, that is Israel, the nation Israel that they're talking about. I'll show you that next week, uh, and I'll prove that to you next week for quite easily when we look at um, that next week. Codrington, thank you very much for your call from Antigua. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate each of you listening tonight. And make sure that you tune in next week as we continue, Lord willing, this topic of human artificial insemination what is involved with it, and what does the Bible have to say about it? If the Bible doesn't talk about it specifically, what biblical principles can we apply to this as we make wise choices in our life? If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are not a follower of Christ, we encourage you to study your Bible. Call the Radio Lighthouse if you have any questions. We'd be glad to talk with you. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.